Good morning again, and welcome to Church of the Cross. My name is Peter. I'm also one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. As we come to hear from the living God and his word, as is our custom, let us begin in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, we praise you for your heart of love. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, the gift of your word. And we ask now that by your spirit and through your word, you would guide us in the way of truth, in the way of salvation. Guide us on the path of goodness and life, we pray. In your name, amen. One of my favorite songs is called Time is a Lion by the singer Joe Henry. It's a love song of sorts, but it's also this song that has an acute sense of mortality and the passage of time. The inevitability that the best of times will fade and decay. The unavoidable outcome, outcome of decline and even death. Time is a lion and you are a lamb, Henry Croons. In our own lives, certainly in my life, this is a, a reality, a truth I'd prefer to disguise. I'd prefer to hide from it. When things are going right, the sun is shining, I can distract myself from this reality. We have all kinds of means at our disposal to entertain or mask, cover up the reality of our lamb-like fragility, to cover and avoid the ferocity of decline and decay in a broken world. Time is a lion and we are the lamb. Our very brief Old Testament reading this morning, and indeed the whole book of Hosea, refer to and speak from this reality. This prophetic book in the Old Testament is one of 12 books that are commonly called the Minor Prophets. And this book in particular will be our focus in the coming weeks. It speaks to and from this threat or expectation and experience of decline and decay, even chaos and catastrophe. Not individually, but corporately for the whole people of God. Our reading this morning is, of course, from the very first verse of Hosea. And it offers this historical context for the book. It situates the text during the era of Israel's divided kingdom, when the tribes of Israel were divided between north and south. But despite this political and social fragmentation, Hosea initially lived and was a prophet during this time of great wealth, even expansion. Things were looking up in the kingdom of Israel. Verse 1 situates Hosea's life in the context of the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, that is, of the northern kingdom. And this Jeroboam was known as one of the most effective and illustrious leaders in Israel's history. He had the longest reign of any northern king, lasting 41 years. Archaeological excavations have revealed this is a time of grandeur, luxury, unprecedented expansion. Never mind being a fragile lamb, these times were roaring. Boom times. But just as the roaring 20s of American history concluded with the great crash of 29 and a decade of depression and, and world war, these booming and roaring times during which Hosea began his life 
do not last. It's notable in verse 1 that Jeroboam in Israel is the only northern ruler named, while four leaders are named for Judah, this southern kingdom. The reigns of these four rulers actually extend far beyond the reign of Jeroboam. Hosea continued to minister and function in the north as a prophet beyond this successful and long reign. We will see in the coming weeks the back portion of the book, chapters 4 to 14, have all kind of references to things that happened during the reigns of the northern kings that followed. But none of these rulers are mentioned. Their names are not recorded. That's how bad they were. That's how steep the decline was from these booming times. Where Jeroboam alone reigned for 41 years, the next 30 years saw six different rulers from five rival houses contending for control. Four of these kings were assassinated. One was deposed. Three of them ruled less than two years. Political intrigue and chaos that would put Game of Thrones to shame. All culminating or declining to the total destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel and the ten tribes that were part of it in 722 B.C. This is the time to which and out of which Hosea speaks. Time is a lion and you are a lamb. We take a little more time to outline the historical setting of this book because it will help us to understand and hear more clearly in the weeks to come, to understand the situation, the setting in which Hosea functioned as a prophet. If I was to describe this sermon, I'd say it's a little bit of a table setting. It's describing the situation, and in the weeks to come, we'll begin to fill out and understand more of the meal, the feast of the Word of God that is in Hosea before us. But more than just giving us the historical and political context, this one verse, this brief reading, also makes this remarkable claim. The verse you'll be, begins, you'll notice, introducing us to all the following 14 chapters as the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. In the midst of political intrigue, the rising and falling of nations, the word of the Lord comes. In the very next verse, verse 2, the word is described as spoken in or through Hosea. That is through a human voice. The words of the living God. This is an audacious claim. At the fulcrum of history, in the moment of this unraveling, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob speaks. At the turn of prosperity to suffering, of life to death, grief and decline, Yahweh, Israel's God of deliverance, speaks. The word of the Lord comes to his people. Last week, as we were doing our instructed Eucharist, a, a tour of our liturgy, the way we worship, I mentioned that one of the primary convictions behind our worship, our life together, undergirding the life of the church, is the conviction that God speaks. That God has spoken and does speak. 
This is a remarkable claim. At the center of all things, the creator and ruler of all things, is one who speaks. This is a fundamental conviction of the Christian faith, that there is a person who speaks at the center of all things. In the warp and woof of history, God does not stand far off, but communicates. He speaks a word. He's spoken through prophets like Hosea. He speaks in the words of Scripture. He speaks most wonderfully in Jesus. The word of God made flesh. We're in the portion of the church calendar that's known as ordinary time or the season after Pentecost, which we celebrated two weeks ago. I like that designation after Pentecost. It's a good one because it reminds us that we live in the light of the coming of God's spirit. Our lives unfold in the context of Pentecost. And one of the gifts of the spirit, one of the gifts of Pentecost is that God speaks to and through his people. No longer is the word of the Lord reserved for special times and special people as it was during Hosea's time. But in history now, God speaks to ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus. People like you and me, and people very different from us. We can hear the word of the Lord. Indian pastor and scholar Ivan Satyavrata describes the Holy Spirit as the great equalizer, poured out on all flesh. Pentecostal theologian Roger Stronstadt describes the reality of what we celebrate in the giving of the Spirit as the prophethood of all believers. By the Spirit, God speaks to and through his followers, women and men, old and young, educated or not, wealthy or poor. God speaks. He communicates to his people. In my own life, God has used profoundly unexpected people to speak to me. My own mother-in-law. I remember distinctly, almost by accident, my mother-in-law giving me this remarkable, life-giving, loving word of healing. A word that informs my life to this day, some 23 years later. For some of, this, this, for some of us, this idea that God would speak is totally foreign and is frankly quite weird. For others of us, we've seen this expectation and hope. We've been in communities where there is this hope and expectation and we've seen this reality abused. I've seen my share of weirdness and abuse. But the abuse of this reality does not overturn the truth of it. God communicates to his people. And a humble posture of receptivity, of expectation, that the living God would speak is a fundamental part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus' own pattern of life, the way of the cross that we talk so much about, involves this real-time intimacy with the Father. This posture of listening, obeying, receiving is part of what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. Our reading this morning, chapter 1, verse 1, designates all that comes after it in the book as the word of the Lord. 
This verse is actually quite unique in the prophetic books of the Bible. It's almost this editorial description before the rest of the book. And included in the chapters that follow are things that Hosea says, words from the Lord, we might say, but also his own life, descriptions of narrative of his life and his relationships, as we'll see. It's almost as if the whole of his life recorded in some way is informed by and expressive of the word of the Lord. The whole of his life speaks, we might say. There's something of the call of Jesus for the church, for us in that. That we would be a people whose very lives are receptive to, saturated by, and thus communicating the truth, the goodness of God's word. A legitimate question might be where to begin in that. Jesus' own instruction is that we might ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Convinced that God is eager to give of himself to communicate. Ask, perhaps, too, that we might know his voice, that we might hear it, that we might be receptive to his promptings, his word. Perhaps you might begin there, even today, asking in the reading of Scripture that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would come to know his voice. Ask in community that we might be a people whose lives communicate the truth of God's word. Of course, our focus this morning and in the weeks to come is on this particular word, the word to and through Hosea. And about this word, what can we say? I think two things in particular, the beginning of our journey through this book, two things to keep in mind that will help us orient ourselves. First, we must understand that this is a word about sin and its consequences. It's a word about rebellion and judgment. You know, good summer reading. <laughs> when most of us hear the word prophecy, we imagine, I suspect, someone speaking into the future about events they shouldn't yet know about in the normal course of things, foretelling, predictive. But biblically, prophecy functions often as something a little bit different. Not so much foretelling, but what we might call forthtelling. Less about a prediction about the future, though there is that, and more about a calling forth of people. A calling forth of the people of God to live in line with the truth they already know. To live in line with their identity as God's people. This is how much of Hosea functions. As a call to God's people to live according to the truth, to their identity, a call that they are falling far short of, that they are neglecting, that they are rebelling against. In making this call, the book of Hosea is very much a partner to the book of Amos, which immediately follows it in Scripture. Amos is written during the same illustrious, booming reign of Jeroboam. And by almost any earthly measure, these were good times. Times marked by an absence of conflict, a growth in wealth and national prestige. You can imagine the pride of the kingdom of the north. But the word of the Lord to Amos and Hosea offers this very different read, a very different perspective on these years. 
rather than celebrating an increase in GDP or honor on the international stage and the nation's growth, Amos and Hosea suggest that these were years characterized by a fundamental turning away by God's people from the call on their life, from the truth they knew. It's marked by rebellion. Amos, writing only about these roaring times, describes this as a time fundamentally of idolatry, where the people of God, seeking security, seeking escape from their fragile, lamb-like state, sought their security outside of Yahweh. In Scripture, idolatry is always connected to injustice. It is the worship of wrong things that invariably leads to the suffering of the most marginalized, the most vulnerable in society. I know many people's attention was captured this week by what is occurring on our border. And the tragedy and injustice of that, complex as it is, is invariably bound up with idolatry. Hosea and Amos describe the time in which they lived, these booming, roaring times of Jeroboam, as a time of deep inequality between the rich and poor, where the poor are forgotten, and where corruption marks out the life of those who are called to serve, the king, officials, priests, and prophets. The wrong worship of Israel leading to injustice. And in the weeks to come, we will see time and time again the word of the Lord to and through Hosea exposes this reality, exposes this incongruity, the separation between the way the people of God were living, the life they were called to live, the truth of their identity as God's chosen people. We'll see this theme come up time and time again. It will be described particularly in terms of infidelity of betrayal. For the promise of wealth and security, the people of God are described as prostituting themselves. The reality of these booming times exposed starkly by the word of the Lord. One of the most ridiculous arguments I ever got into was when I was 14 or 15 years old. And it involved the debate about the song order of the Black Album by the band Metallica. <laughs> Ridiculous. In this argument, I remember being so convinced I was right, even though I was dis- disagreeing with several others, including my friend Stephen, who actually owned the album in question. But I was convinced I was right. What I was arguing felt like the truth to me. I was convinced, and it was only the next day when embarrassingly the album was produced and brought before me that I saw the error of my ways. What felt right was exposed as in fact untrue, wrong. The distance between myself and reality was exposed. If you've ever been lost in the woods, you might have had a similar experience. What feels so clearly like the right way, the way to safety and security, can in fact be tragically wrong. This is one of the ways the word of the Lord functions in our lives, in the life of the church. It exposes, it pronounces judgment. 
regardless of however we might see ourselves as thriving or flourishing, economically, in our studies, our careers. The word of the Lord narrates our lives according to the truth of God's call and purposes. It challenges us to consider, to reconsider the values and orientation of our lives in relation to God's purposes. To consider the shape of our lives in the light of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of all creation who is our source and end. Are we rebelling against our true calling about reality? Time and again in the coming weeks, Hosea will invite us to consider this. And to consider it uncomfortably in the light of God's judgment. In the book of Hosea, it's not exactly time that is the lion. The Lord is the lion. And time and again, Hosea describes this decline, the decay of Israel, not as this inevitable outcome of time, the rising and falling that invariably happens, but he describes it as a product of their choosing. They're choosing against the Lord and his active response to that betrayal. That's an uncomfortable picture. In Hosea chapter 2, God declares in stark and disturbing terms, punishment, his judgment upon his people. In the front of your service sheet, you have a section of Hosea chapter 13. And in the very next few verses, God himself names himself as a lion. A lion ready to devour. There's something deeply troubling, discomforting about this language. Biblical scholar Bo Lim refers to this language and imagery and describes it as occasionally awkward and often downright embarrassing for contemporary readers. And he says the intention behind this language and imagery is intentionally there to shock, to startle, to confuse. In the weeks to come, we will have to wrestle with it. And more than that, wrestle with the reality that to be the people of God is to be engaged with a holy and good God who is beyond our control. A God whose word is a comfort and balm, but is also one that lances and cuts, that upsets our lives as it convicts and challenges. It's a word about sin and its consequences. But second we will see that alongside this troubling and shocking language, Hosea is also this word of profound hope and love. In my own life, the word of the Lord through scripture, through community around me, has often come in the form of correction, rebuke, challenge. Challenge that I needed to amend my life. And that at times was hard, it cut me. But the overall sense I have of the Lord having spoken into my life is one of being seen and known, known in my faults, my brokenness, my sin and failures, and being loved there. The book of Hosea boasts some of the most profound descriptions of God's love found anywhere in the Bible. And the power of this word is that it ultimately speaks good news. 
It speaks to us news of God's rugged and ongoing commitment to his people who are lost in sin and brokenness, to his creation, his commitment to his plan to bless all the nations and redeem all things because of his love. And every utterance we find in it is intended to draw the people of God back, to call them back to himself, to his love, to the truth of their calling. Jewish writer Eli Wessel once wrote, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And the picture of God that emerges in Hosea is anything but indifferent to his people. And as frightening and troubling as that at times might be, it is good news. The word about sin and its consequences are best understood as those of a grieved spouse, heartbroken yet still passionate for the one who has betrayed. At the root of this word, the word we find in Hosea, is God's identity as Savior. It's there on the front of your service sheet. God's identity as one who is able, who has, and desires to save again. The name Hosea is a way, a version of saying Yahweh saves. And the whole of the book can be seen as this effort, this call to come to salvation, to come to the way of peace. And at the heart of that word is love. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is depicted as weeping over the city of Jerusalem. He declares, you kill prophets, you stone those sent to you. But I have longed for you. I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood. That is the heart of God's love. That is the heart of Hosea that we will see. And in that love, there is great hope. For in the love of God, the way, the way of salvation is open to us. Decay and decline, our sin and its consequences do not have the final word. God speaks and speaks again. He calls and calls again. Through the prophets, through Hosea, in the words of Scripture, by His Spirit in Jesus, the living word of love is calling out, calling out to you and me in love that we who have gone astray and still yet go astray might yet be saved, might in returning to him find our salvation, our security, that we might rest in the care of the Lion of Judah. One of my favorite books to read with my children is the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And she describes the love of God in that book at a number of places this way as his never-stopping never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This love is written on every page of the book of Hosea. It is at the heart of every word of the Lord. May it be known and experienced among us this morning and in the weeks to come. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we gather this morning as your people in your name. 
So we gather as people who have faltered and failed, who have turned against your call upon our lives, who have betrayed the good call that you have put forward to us. And I pray for those of us who come this morning weary or perhaps reticent with a sense of shame, a weight of guilt. Would you this morning, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of your unbreaking always and forever love? And would we this morning, in your mercy, be cut to the core? Would we see ourselves exposed? And would we be reminded that the way is open for each and every one of us to draw near, to receive yet again from your grace and your goodness? Pray for the weeks to come, O oh God, that through this book, through these words that you, by your Spirit, empowered to be remembered and written down, you administer life and blessing to us. Would you guide us in the way of truth and peace, the everlasting way. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.